goodness and we need to be reminded that singing songs about his word that come from his word and reading his word will encourage and strengthen us so if you're feeling discouraged today you're in the right place God's word is true this next song always really really speaks to me uh, there's a line in it if I can find it uh, the verses of this song. It really speaks to my heart today and, and especially with what we're facing in our society. Um, it's called Living Hope. It just talks about how Christ is our hope. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Yeah, 
presence of the Lord today, I feel joy. I feel hope. I feel encouragement and strength today, and I hope you do as well. Would you pray with me just now as we welcome the presence of His Holy Spirit in this house? We feel Him so real already. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your presence so real by the presence and the power. Yes, we pray and ask for that liberty of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your goodness, and mercies to us each and every day. And now, Lord, we come in your presence. We come to worship you, Lord, whether we're at home today and watching by video, whether we're here in your presence in your house. We ask your blessings upon each and every one. Grant our hearts desires according to your will. Bless us, Lord. Bless us with your extravagant blessings today. My God, help us to bring honor and glory to you. 
each and every day. Let our light shine brightly in the midst of darkness today. And as I pray for me and my family, I pray the same for you today. God, make us all rapture ready. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated, everybody. Welcome this morning. We are so glad you're with us. We want to bring the lights up for a moment and and uh, just turn around and say hi to somebody. Would you do that from right where you're seated? Turn around and greet them warmly in the name of the Lord. Give them a big wave and a smile. And uh, uh, not too long uh, from now, we'll be able to get up and, and shake a hand, hug a neck. That's all going to happen again. But for now, we say good morning and welcome. We greet our folks and friends who are watching uh, online today. As Brother Steve mentioned, we bless you in the name of the Lord. Pray that this day's worship, and the word, and the witness, all that takes place would be uh, a blessing to you and strengthening in your life. Um, real quickly here, let me mention that we need everyone to take a little white card from in front of you there, please, and uh, fill those out for me. That's our connection card. Let me know that you're here. Register for the day. Uh, give us whatever prayer needs you may have or request or um, maybe a report of something good. Also, um, it's time to get our envelopes ready. If you're giving today by envelope, uh, please use that for your cash or check. Um, we're going to be giving also online. You can do that at our website, life623life623.com. Somebody asked me one time, what in the world are the number 623 all about? Well, when, when we started, uh, the Lord put it on our hearts to plant Life Community Church in 2006. My son and I were visiting and, and, and uh, we were working on a website. And Michael says, Dad, what about Romans 623? The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is, is eternal life. Everybody say life, amen. Eternal life through Jesus Christ. I said, I like that. So we took the number 623 from Romans 623. So the next time you uh, use that or encourage a friend to use those numbers, you'll know what that's all about. God's given us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the message of the gospel. So, so let's give this morning freely. Let's give out of love in our hearts. Uh, there's a number on the screen there also if you'd like to text uh, your gift, however you're giving today. Uh, may the Lord richly bless you as we financially uh, bless the kingdom of God today through our tithe and offering. I'm going to ask our ushers to come and we're going to pray now and uh, receive uh, the offering. And at home there, now would be a good time for you to just go ahead and plan to give also. Will you do that right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you today, God, for your incredible love, your bountiful blessings. We're thankful, Lord, for the grace that's made, been made available to us when we stumble, when we fall. At every time that mistakes uh, happen in our life, there you are with your grace. Every time we miss the mark, there you are with your grace, just waiting for us to turn to you, just waiting for us to, to reach out, to reciprocate, and to receive the grace that's made available to us. For you give grace to the humble, and you resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. We humble ourselves today. Lord, we receive your grace, your blessing in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you now as you give. And uh, the worship team is going to lead us in a song.
Thank you, Lord. Everybody lift your voice and sing. Christ, Christ is coming. Sing it like you mean it. Christ, Christ is coming. Oh, yes. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Great and mighty is our God. Great and mighty is our God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. As we bring the lights up, I want to encourage all the boys and girls who are 4 through 11. They're going up these stairs right now. Would you just come on down and go up these stairs from wherever you is, all right? Come on. Because uh, Michael and Amber and uh, let's see, Sadie and Madison, oh, everyone's up there. No, Madison's not. <laughs> Sadie is. They're all waiting for you. And today we begin uh, Mystery Island. I'll tell you what, we're going to have some fun for these guys. They're learning about the Word of God. Let's give our kids a big hand, everybody. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> well, this last week we began um, a message uh, on on Pentecost and uh, the the. Uh, day, of course, the feast time, um, we call it Pentecost Sunday. And uh, the feast time, and that particular day was last Sunday, May 31st. Some believe it provides a beautiful picture of the rapture of the church and that Jesus will return for his bride on this particular feast day. Others believe it's a, it's a fall feast, like uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Trumpets. And there are all sorts of different reasons to believe all of it, and the scholars um, study, they help us to understand while they may disagree, but all we know as believers is Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. Can you say amen to that? Now, we know that the church was birthed on Pentecost. We read last week, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Everybody say, fully come. When the feast, the day of Pentecost had fully come, God's timing was precise, and God's timing is always precise. It's always uh, what he desires. Sometimes it's not what we desire. It's not when we desire it. Sometimes we get tired of waiting on God, but he has his own timing, and when his timing was fulfilled and the day of Pentecost came, God sent forth this powerful Holy Spirit uh, onto the earth. Now, the Spirit of God had been with men in the past. We read of Men like Samson, the Spirit of God would come upon him. And he, just a normal kind of a fella, uh, would all of a sudden have this supernatural strength. 
I mean, it wasn't that Samson was, was buff and he worked out all the time and he could throw people around. Samson was just a normal guy, but it was the Spirit of God upon him that enabled him to perform those incredible uh, feats of strength and, and victory. And he did so for the name of, of the Lord. He did so for Yahweh's name and for the people of Israel. And he did so to be a champion. As long as he obeyed God, he kept his Nazarite vows, he was endued with that power of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit coming upon men of old, anointing them to write the scriptures and to speak. We see the Spirit of God coming on the prophets. They would declare what God is saying or they would, they would declare what uh, was coming in the future. The Spirit of God enabling men like Daniel, for instance, to interpret dreams and men like Joseph to interpret dreams. And, and so the Spirit has been moving throughout the scripture, but there was something supernatural about this particular day. There was something that God wanted to do. God birthed his church. Jesus had told his disciples, 500 of them that he met with, uh, he said to them, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait until the power of God comes on you. Wait until you are, the King James says, endued with power from on high. And uh, when that power comes, then I want you to preach. Then I want you to testify my name. Then I want you to lay hands on the sick. Then I want you to do the work of building the kingdom of God. Uh, but wait for the power, wait for the power. Well, out of those 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus who saw him alive, only 120 of them made it to the upper room. But I was, I was praying this morning and reading through this text again, and it occurred to me that every one of these men and women in the upper room had been eyewitnesses to the Lord Jesus. And as Peter's preaching in his sermon, the brother Steve alluded to a moment ago, Peter says that, he says, we have seen, we have been, uh, witnesses to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And I thought to myself, not only was Peter a witness, not only were the 12 witnesses, but there were 120 witnesses to the resurrection of Christ in that upper room. And those are the ones who received the power of God from on high. I wouldn't want to be in that crowd of 380 that didn't make it to the upper room and said, man, we missed out on it. I would want to be in that 120 that obeyed the Lord Jesus and made it to the upper room and got endued with power from on high and the Holy Spirit came on them. But there's a reason why he came. He came not only to establish a church, to birth a church, the body of Christ, the family of God, the bride of Christ, but he also came to give that bride power, to give that family authority, to give the body of Christ a supernatural endowment of, of power from on high, strength that only comes through the Spirit of God. And my friend, you can live a Christian life, you can go to heaven, you can do wonderful things, but if you will allow the Holy Spirit to come on you, if you'll allow him to to baptize you in this, this secondary act. I'm talking about something that is subsequent to and in addition to your salvation experience. These men and women had already been breathed upon by Jesus. They'd already received the, the Holy Spirit uh, in, in fullness, but now they were receiving the Holy Spirit in a baptismal measure. There was something more, something abundant, something supernatural that was coming on them, and I believe God wants this experience to be available to every believer under the sound of my voice today. If you believe that, say amen. Now, the feast had come to its fullness. It had come to its climax. It was the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, I told you last week, came from the Greek-speaking Jews, and, and they labeled it Pentecost because it, it was 50 days after Passover. The word Pentecost simply means 50. 
And so they called it Pentecost. And that's where we get the name Pentecost. There have been denominations um, that are called, that have the term Pentecost in their title. Pentecostal Holiness or Pentecostal Church of God or, or su such. And so they're taking that term from this particular day and this particular experience. But it means 50 and it was technically a feast of first fruits. It was a feast of weeks and it was seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost, 49 days. And then when you count the day of Pentecost, it was 50. So on that 50th day, on that day of fulfillment, on that day of completion, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, God was honoring the feast, the feast that he told his people to commemorate, the feast that he told his, his people, the Jews, to come. And, and, and Pentecost every year would be a time when the, all of the men, all of the Jewish men would make their way uh, to the temple uh, there in Jerusalem. And they would come from all over the region. <clears throat> they would bring their families with them and they would camp for a few days because there were no motels. There, were, there was no uh, speedy transportation. When you made a trip uh, like this, you'd have to figure on feeding your family for several days. You'd have to figure on having a place to sleep or, or, or to stay for a number of days. And they made a trip out of it. They made a road trip out of it. And, and Pentecost was a wonderful feast time. It was a time when we brought the first fruits of our of our labors, the first fruits of our agricultural economy. This would be similar to us bringing our tithe or bringing our offerings because that's the first fruits of our labors. Uh, very, very different in our economy than it was in Jewish economy uh, back 2,000 years ago. It was an agricultural society. Uh, everyone, just about everyone, made their living by growing crops and, and harvesting. And so they understood uh, uh, the times of sowing. They understood the times of harvest. They understood that God was the Lord of the harvest, and if they would pray and ask and obey, he would bless their crops. He would bless them with an abundance of rain, an abundance of sunshine. He would bless their crops so they would grow, and there would be a harvest, because in this society, your harvest was your payday, and your paycheck was the harvest that came in. And so the Levitical law records that if you're disobedient to God, he will seal up the heavens. There will not be rain. You will have a, a, a drought in your area and your crops will die and you'll not have a harvest if you're disobedient. So it was really pretty simple. It was cut and dried. It was choose you this day whom you're going to serve. It was either be obedient to God and reap the blessings or it was be disobedient to God and you're going to see a, a, a difficulty in your life. And so God was saying to the people, now I want you to come at this feast time and I want you to bring the first fruits. It's going to be a feast of weeks, and we're going to celebrate from Passover, which had been the, the barley harvest, and uh, then 50 days later will be the, the, the wheat harvest, and it's going, to be, it's going to be a time of celebration. Bring the first fruits. So they were instructed to bring the first fruits of their crops. So I want you to imagine now, um, these believers came from all over. There were thousands of people, thousands of Jewish uh, men and women, I say believers, they were not believers in Christ necessarily, but they were, they were the Jewish people who brought their first fruits and they brought them to the temple and they brought them to worship and they brought to offer to the priest and the priest would offer them to the Lord and, and there, was, there was quite a ceremony that took place and in that particular time the priest would take uh, loaves of bread that had already been made from the wheat and these loaves of bread were leavened bread. They weren't unleavened, they were leavened bread. They were similar to the bread we would eat today. And they would take two of those loaves and they would wave them before the Lord. They would wave these loaves before God. And I, I believe that, that, that the two loaves signifies 
the bread of life, the bread of heaven. Jesus has come, and he's come as not only the bread of life, and, and we have the word of God, uh, which is our bread, but he's also the living word, and I believe that's the representation there. The, the Jewish priest, I'm sure, did not have a revelation of what you and I have today. They didn't have an understanding of Jesus, the living word, and, and the word of God, and, and the rhema, and the logos, and so forth. He didn't have all that understanding, all that revelation that you and I have today, but he would wave those, those loaves before the Lord as part of the ceremony. Also, the, the Jewish people would bring their harvest, they would bring the first fruits of their harvest in, and if they were uh, wealthy enough or had enough um, uh, money, they would bring a, a cart, and the cart would be full. Imagine an old ox cart, if you will, and an old ark, ox is under a yoke, and that ox is plodding toward Jerusalem, and behind that ox there's this cart, and it's just overflowing with an abundance of wheat and other grains that, that the Jewish people had harvested, and they're bringing it to the Lord. They're bringing an offering to God. I want to tell you something. Every time you come to worship God, every time you come to his house, every time you spend time with him, he wants you to bring an offering to him. He wants you to bring a living sacrifice. You bring your heart. You bring your life. You bring your voice. You bring your hands. You bring your heart to the Lord because you and I are the living sacrifice he's looking for in these last days. Can you say amen? See, ours is a different covenant than the old covenant. We're not under that old covenant anymore, but Jesus has come and brought us a new and living way. He's brought to us a new covenant, a better covenant. And because of the covenant Jesus has brought, we don't have to kill lambs and we don't have to kill bullocks and we don't have to kill uh, doves and, and pigeons and we don't have to offer the blood of animals and sacrifice. Jesus Christ once and for all offered his blood at Calvary and that blood has been sprinkled on the mercy seat of the true ark which is in the presence of God in the heavenly realm and dimension and I want you to know that sacrifice once and for all was the blood that God honored. The blood of his own son, the sinless spotless lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world and God said that's my sacrifice and Jesus said it is finished and I want you to know that work that Calvary did it all for us. Hallelujah. Say, Pastor, you're making a big deal about the blood. You better believe I'm making a big deal. I'm guilty of that. I make a big deal about the blood. Oh, that Christianity's a bloody religion. Yes, it's a blood. <laughs> it's not our blood. It's not even animal blood anymore. We're under a new covenant that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So we understand that. We grasp that. This Pentecost festival and feast was really, really, really beautiful. There, there are some feast days and some, and some feasts that God has uh, required that his people honor, his people, the Jews. Uh, we, under the new covenant, are not under any obligation to reenact any of these feasts. Even Passover, the Seder meal of Passover, a lot of a lot of my Christian friends are getting into doing Seder meals at Passover and observing and talking about Christ in the Passover. And that's okay. That's all right to study that. It's okay to read about it. It's okay to, you know, honor it. And we obviously honor the feast days that God has told us to honor. But under our covenant, we don't have to uh, reenact those. We don't have to celebrate those. We don't have to perform those. Because you have to understand, Jesus fulfilled every one of those feasts. The feasts were merely types and shadows leading to Christ anyway. That's what they're there for. And so the Jews observed them 
unknowing that they, they didn't know that what was going to happen at Pentecost. They didn't have a clue. But here they came, and they put ribbons, and, and they put, um, they put uh, uh, um, flowers, and they put wreaths uh, that they made out of uh, vines, and they would put them on the, the horns of the oxen. A poor oxen. God love him. He was under a, a yoke. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything about it, and they dressed him up, made him look so, so pretty. Probably put little bells on him and stuff. He thought, I feel really silly looking like this. But anyway, they were celebrating. These are the people of God. They're on their way to the temple of God. They're on their way to thank God that he had blessed their crops another year. He's brought us a wonderful harvest. We celebrate all that our God is and all that he means to us. Let me tell you something. You can never give too much praise to God. You need to learn to praise God everywhere you are. When you're driving down the road, give him thanks. When you're taking a shower, give him thanks. When you're preparing dinner, give him thanks. When you're going to work, give him thanks. Every hour of every day is a time to worship God. Somebody say amen. Pastor, I just don't, there's times I just don't feel like worshiping God. I just don't feel like worshiping God. There you go again, being led by your feelings. You're not being led by faith. You're not letting the word of God lead you. You're just feeling something. See, my dad used to say, my daddy, I tell you what, he was quite a guy. He used to say there are only two times to worship God, when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Amen. He loves to hear your worship. He loves to hear your praise. Well, Pastor, I, I, don't, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. That's all right. For you, the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It may be noise to you, but I'm telling you, it's beautiful in the ears of our God. He loves to hear the praise of us. You know what? He loves our praises so much that he says, I'm just going to come and I'm going to enthrone myself in your praises. I'm going to inhabit your praises. That's what the psalmist wrote. God inhabits the praise of Israel, his people. He, he just comes and enthrones himself. God loves your praise so much. What kind of praise, Pastor? I'll tell you what kind of praise. The halal. Halal. It's from which we get the word hallelujah. A halal is an unrehearsed, spontaneous, melodic praise. It's giving a, a melody to what's in your heart. It's not necessarily something that we have seen on the screen. It's not necessarily something we've learned uh, from the worship team or learned at church. It's something that comes from our heart. It's hallelujah, Lord, I bless your name for you're worthy of glory and honor and praise. Oh, preacher, you're just doing that for us. No, I'm not. I'm doing it for him. <laughs> you can listen in if you want to. But Jesus, you're worthy of my praise. I'm going to show you what a halal is. Halal is just giving a melody to something that's in your heart. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Oh, come on and join me. Hallelujah. Our Lord, our God is worthy, 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 worthy. Hallelujah. See, that's, that's singing halal to the Lord. The Lord inhabits the halal of his people. He likes that so much, he just comes down and says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm just going to be right there with you. Whew. So the next time you're looking for God, you're searching for God, stop searching for him and just start worshiping him and he'll come and find you. Jesus said in John 4, the Father seeks such who worship him. He's looking for those. He is listening. He's waiting. He's, a, he's, he's searching to and fro throughout the earth. 
for those who will be faithful to him and lift up his name and honor him and their worship and their praise. More than just worship and praise, honor him with their lifestyle. Let me tell you, that's what's important. Somebody say amen. amen. <clears throat> so this Feast of Pentecost was a wonderful time. It was also a time <clears throat> that <clears throat> the Jewish people believed that Pentecost is the day that the fruit of the trees is judged. Interesting, interesting. The day out of the year that the fruit of the tree is judged. And that makes a lot of sense because it's a fruit, it's a, it's a feast of first fruits. So the fruit of a tree is examined and judged. Luke chapter uh, 13. In the sixth chapter, Jesus gives us a parable of the barren fig tree. Now, I don't know if we have that on the screen. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Here it is. Um, Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to this vineyard, and I've been looking uh, to this fruit, and I've not found any fruit, so I want you to cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Huh. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I will dig around it. I will fertilize it. Verse 9. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I believe the Lord of the harvest is, is examining fruit. And Pentecost is a time when the fruit is examined. This, this season, you say, well, well, preacher, Pentecost was last Sunday. Let's move on. No, 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 no. I don't want to move on. <laughs> Pentecost was not an end to something. It was not a fix-all, end-all. Now we're Pentecostal. Now we speak with tongues. Uh, now, now, now we get the goosebumps up and down the back of our spine when we sing just the right song. No, 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 no. Pentecost was a beginning of powerful witness and ministry for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pentecost was, was the, the, the launch pad for the church to accomplish the purposes and the plan and the destiny for which God had created her. Pentecost. So, if indeed this is a time when the fruit of the trees is judged, could this be the season, God, that Jesus is looking for fruitful, productive trees? You see, my friend, at the rapture of the church, only the true blood-bought believers are going to be caught up along with the righteous dead in the first resurrection. Many people are going to moan. Many people are going to cry. They thought that church membership, they thought that good works was enough. But he will judge the trees at his coming. And he is looking for fruit and fruitfulness. He says, the man who owned the vineyard said, is it, cut that tree down. It's encumbering the ground. I've been, I've been by here. I came by. I didn't get any fruit. I came by again. There's absolutely no fruit on this tree. It is sucking up the moisture and the, in, in, the nutrition, that, the nutrients that another tree could be getting out of the soil. Cut it down. It's not serving a purpose. Let me tell you something. Every time I read that parable or every time I talk about that parable, I am sobered. I am made conscious of my own walk with the Lord Jesus. When he comes, will he find faith? When he comes, will he find faithfulness? When he comes, will he find productivity? When he comes, will he find that I've been, that I've been faithful with what has been given to me? 
You see, so many of us have been given so many gifts from a wonderful life-giving God. And we have utilized those gifts. We've squandered them on ourselves. We've utilized them to make a living for our family, and that's wonderful and that's good, but that's as far as we've gone. We've not been productive for the kingdom of God with the gifts with which he has given to us. Now, don't shout me down at this juncture. (laughs) Sobering, isn't it? Sobering. Could this be the season Jesus is looking for fruitful, productive trees? I believe it is. And you look to that parable in Luke 13 to find out more about it. King David uh, was mentioned in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. In fact, uh, I thought Steve was going to preach my sermon there for just a minute. But he got to talking about David and Peter's reference to to King David. When, When Peter referenced David in that sermon, you know, he... He was, he was speaking of the, the prophet. David was a prophet. He was speaking. We don't think about David being, being a prophet, but he was. He, he prophesied and, and uh, was speaking of this one who was to come, who would not be allowed, who would not, God would not allow his soul to remain uh, in, in darkness. He, he, he would cause resurrection life to come to him. And David, Peter knew that every Jew at the day of Pentecost listening to his sermon would understand King David. They all knew David. They knew David as the great psalmist of Israel. They knew him as the great unifier who brought Israel and Judah together. They knew of the glory years of David and, uh, for his 40-year reign or however long that was and what was accomplished and what transpired and how he was this great warrior and how he, he killed Goliath with just a stone and a, and a sword and uh, how that he had taken Israel to the, the very pinnacle of power and, and uh, prosperity under his reign. And they, everyone understood and knew about David. Everyone knows about David. So when Peter referenced David, these folks understood. And as I told you a moment ago, people were coming now to this feast um, from all over uh, Israel, all over the region. Uh, the, it, it, as a matter of fact, there were some 14 different people groups identified uh, when, when the believers came out of the upper room and they were speaking in those languages, there were at least 14 different languages identified, 14 different people groups. Some of them had come from a long distance to be there. They'd come from other nations to be there. And they did not all speak the same language. But they came to Jerusalem for the feast. They were instructed to come. And so the city of Jerusalem is now full of pilgrims that have come from all over the region. And when the Holy Spirit came, on, on the, when, the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, God had gathered everyone together that he wanted to be there. He wanted to make disciples of all those people groups. What's the best way to do it? You get them all in one place at one time. Baptize some believers of the Holy Ghost, send them out to start preaching in their own known language, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're baptized, and 3,000 are saved in one day. Then what happens is they go back home. And the message of the gospel is is shared and spread. I'm telling you, it's a wonderful plan when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Does everybody understand now why that's important? The day of Pentecost was fully come. There came a sound like as a mighty rushing wind. Didn't say there was a mighty rushing wind, but there was a sound like a mighty rushing, a tornadic wind. I asked last week, how many of you have been close enough to a tornado to hear it sound. And some, some in the room had said, yeah, I, I've heard it. Well, I've not been that close, but I tell you, I've heard some pretty wild, violent winds in Oklahoma. 
and it can get your attention. And I want to tell you something, in, in first century, first century Israel, um, when you got a tornado coming through town, or the sound of a tornado, or a cyclone, or a hurricane, it gets people's attention. So here comes all of those believers, all those, excuse me, all those, those Jewish people, they come to the sound of the wind, and the wind, it seems like, is somewhere in this neighborhood. I've heard it. Did you hear it? Yes, it's over here. Come over here. Here's the wind. It was coming. It's like it came through that little upper room. There it is. It's right there. It's this, there's the sound. Come on, I heard it. And they all gathered. And they came together. And the sound of the wind came. And then the fire appeared in the upper room. And the fire dispersed into what were described as tongues or or. or or a, 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 uh, some sort of a, uh, something that sat, like a little column of fire on, over each of them. And I believe, if I understand the, the interpretation correctly, it's as if it came all over them and just literally covered this. Now, it wasn't literal fire. It didn't burn their skin or, or burn their hide. Or, <laughs> they, they, they were protected from, it wasn't that kind of a fire. But I want to tell you something. It was the energy. It was the life source. It was the anointing. It was the strength of God. It was the anointing from heaven that God was sending on his people because God wants his people to accomplish his work. And I want to say to you that when you get into his presence and you get close to him and you ask him for it, he will send the same anointing into your life so you can accomplish what he's called you to do do, what he's gifted you to do, what he has equipped you to do. God does not want you to go through life not understanding his work and, and mis misunderstanding what he wants you to do. He wants to you to fulfill his purpose through the power of the Holy Spirit. So King David, who was uh, referenced in the sermon uh, by Peter, was both born at the time of Pentecost and died at the time of Pentecost. Interesting to me. The law was given, as I mentioned last week, the law was given on Mount Sinai at this particular time, Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, after the uh, death angel had come over uh, the, there in Goshen and in Egypt and the children of Israel are now making their way through the wilderness and they stop at Mount Sinai and it's at Mount Sinai that God meets with Moses on top of that mountain and God uh, gives him the law and when the law is given, uh, individuals are involved in in uh, all kinds of things and they won't follow God and they're disobedient and so, and so, so Moses says who's on the Lord's side and he drew a line in the sand and everybody that was on the Lord's side came his way and there were about 3,000 that did not and those 3,000 died that day. When the law was given, people did not respond to God's law. They died in their sins but on the day of Pentecost, uh, that we're talking about, 3,000 were added to the church. 3,000 were given eternal life because of the beautiful, uh, the beautiful uh, sh shadow of, of, of law and grace. It was a perfect picture, in my opinion, from one Pentecost to another Pentecost. God's not interested in killing a bunch of people. He's interested in bringing life, and he brings life through his word and brings life through his spirit, and the law kills. But I want you to know the spirit brings life, and we need to celebrate this important day on God's calendar called Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together one place, Suddenly there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house where they were sitting and divided tongues of, as, a, as of fire appeared to them. It looked like fire to me. It looked like fire to you. Yep, it looked like fire. Man, they rested. They just rested on each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. As the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, the year 2020 uh, will long be remembered for this worldwide pandemic, which has caused the economies, the commerce of so many nations to collapse, to grind to a halt. This particular Pentecost is a truly historic one. For the first time in American history, churches were unable to worship openly on, on Easter, which is Resurrection Sunday, our celebration around the time of Passover. In Israel, as I told you last week, at Passover, there was a forced lockdown. I don't know if you knew that or not. Every home was closed on Passover in Israel. It's never happened before, except the one in Egypt when they were under quarantine and there was a plague in the land. It was identical this year. They were under quarantine and a plague in the land, this plague of coronavirus, this COVID-19. It was the plague that had come. And so very, very similar uh, this year, 2020, the time of Passover, uh, the time of our resurrection Sunday. We weren't even able to meet in our churches. We met in homes, but we couldn't come together in buildings like this. And let me just pause here to say, how important it is for the people of God to meet together. Jesus had a habit, and the Bible says that, that he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. Jesus had a custom of going to church. I'm just saying. When did the, when did the servant get no more than the master? When, when do we, when, where is it in our thinking that... We don't need the house of God. We don't need to meet together. Jesus met with other people on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, which was his Lord's day. The early church met together and they fellowship. For instance, if you read on in Acts chapter number two, uh, read with me. Um, <clears throat> verse two and verse, excuse me, chapter two, verse 42. Uh, well, verse 41 says, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls Look at it with me at Acts 2, 42. And they, they being the 3,120 believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They devoted themselves to teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done among them through the, through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. And day by day, verse 46 of Acts 2, day by day, the early church attended the temple together. Everybody say together. And breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I want you to focus on verse 46. Now, if you've been around here much, you've heard me preach about um, that first verse, uh, well, that 42nd verse, they devoted themselves. See that? They devoted themselves. Can we bring up verse 42 again? Thank you all for bringing that up uh, because it wasn't in your notes and I appreciate that. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. Say that with me. They devoted themselves. All right, you see that? They devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the Lord's table. No one had to tell them to do it. 
No one had to coerce them. Nobody had to coax them. Nobody had to say they might sure be a nice idea if you would devote yourself. They devoted themselves. Listen, church, until you are to the place where you can devote yourself, where you can get up and make a choice of your own free will and say, yes, I will be in the house of the Lord. Yes, I will be in the word today. Yes, I will have a daily devotional habit. Yes, I will be in prayer today. Yes, I will devote myself to the, to the Lord's table. Yes, I will devote myself to the fellowship of the saints. There are some things I must devote myself. Nobody can make you do that. Nobody can twist your arm. Nobody should have to twist your arm and make you do those things. You'd simply do them because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's my sermonette on devoting yourself, but look at verse 46 again with me. Day by day, attending the, the temple together. Day by day, attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes. It's all right, breaking bread in the homes is great. You know, I, I, I heard my son Michael a few weeks ago when he spoke on a Sunday morning he said some things to the, to the group watching by online and they're very, very powerful, very poignant for this hour and I want to repeat them. Watching online sometimes is necessary. When you're ill, when you're shut in, when you're home, you can't get out. I talked to one of our couples this morning on the way back from a trip last Sunday. They were listening to the sermon. They were traveling. They couldn't, couldn't be here. And we understand there are things that come up, <clears throat> things that cause you to miss the house of God. However, online church should never take the place of in-house church. Never take the place. It, 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 there's something about the fellowship of the saints that you need. Iron sharpening iron. <clears throat> Loving one another. Fellowship is koinonia. It, 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 you go through the New Testament and you'll see that they loved one another. They cared for one another. They showed hospitality to one another. They exhorted one another. They taught one another. They prayed for one another. There are like 25 different one another phrases in the, in the New Testament that I found personally. And you can't do those outside of the gathering of a local church. Jesus is so interested in the church, not just the universal church. He's interested in the local church. You see, <clears throat> the, the book of Revelation, there were letters to the church, the local church in a city. God is interested in the local church. When you read the word church in the New Testament, it's translated out of the Greek word ekklesia 114 times. 100 of those times, it's a reference to a local church. Yes, the universal church is wonderful, and yes, you need to be born again, and yes, we have brothers and sisters all over, but listen, it's important that we plant our roots in the local church. Amen. See, God's will is that you submit yourself to the authority of a local church. That you submit yourself to a pastor. That you say, I'm going to um, listen. I'm going to yield. I'm going to submit. Um, I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. That's, that's, my, that's my authority. When, when, I, when I meet people, when I encounter people, and, and um, they, they want to ask about our church or I've had people through the years used to, I mean, like they'll, they'll call and say, we want to come and sing for you. I want to come and preach for you. I, I want to come and do something and bless your church. One of my first questions is, well, who's your pastor? Where's your local church? And if they can't give me a solid answer, then I'm like, you know, I, every, every ministry should flourish out of a local church. 
Well, I'm an evangelist, and I go here and there. That's wonderful, but you need a local church. You need a pastor. You need some place to call home. You need a place that you take the Lord's table. You need a place where believers are baptized. You need a place where you support missions together. You need a place that trains children and trains young people. You need a place that you can bring your tithe into the Lord's storehouse. That God's intent is that every believer belong to a local church. They're not going to be perfect. You're not going to find a perfect church. Listen, the minute I go looking for a perfect church, I think I found it. The minute I walk in, they're not perfect anymore because I'm there. So, Pastor, I don't want to go to church because, hey, you know, there's hypocrites in church. Well, there's hypocrites on your job, too. Did you go there? There's hypocrites in your family. Did you still hang with them? If you're letting a hypocrite keep you from going to church, that hypocrite's closer to Jesus than you are. Are you with me out there? So local church is vitally important. Trust me, I've, I've, I've walked this road too long to say it any other way. I've seen people come and people go and people try it and people not try it. And, 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 and for my money, the local church is it. This is, this is where God wants you to be planted. Amen. Now, last week, I closed the message talking about revival and reformation. <clears throat> I believe that these are both biblical concepts that should come together at a time like this, particularly Pentecost. Revival is needed to bring God's people, the church, back into fellowship with him. Revive means to bring something back to life. But revival alone won't fulfill God's mandate. We need a reformation in our country. We need some things reformed. The Holy Spirit burns with spiritual fire, he makes us whole, he makes us holy, but he also gives us the power to be world changers, to make a difference in our realm of influence. I spoke last week about our president, uh, how that he is a secular reformer. He's a tough, outspoken New York businessman, and I don't, know, I don't appreciate a lot of the things he says. I don't appreciate a lot of the things he's done in his past. Um, but you know, I did not, I was not interested in a pastor-in-chief or a Christian spiritual leader-in-chief I was interested in someone who could come in, drain the swamp, maybe try to get this nation reformed and save us from going over the brink into socialism and communism and, and total all that, all the direction we were going. And uh, so some of the policies that have been enacted uh, regarding the church, regarding um, uh, uh, abortion, regarding Israel, uh, regarding our, our economy, some of those things I am totally in agreement with and believe, like, believe that he's on the right track. And as I mentioned last, last week, I said anyone who, anyone who supports religious liberties and appoints judges with that moral fiber, I'm in favor of it. Anyone who supports Israel is willing to recognize Jerusalem as the capital, the eternal capital of Israel, which it is, and move our embassy there, they deserve my support. You know, the last five presidents have been given the opportunity to move the capital to Jerusalem because of what the Congress said, but they've kicked the can down the road. <laughs> that's, not, that's not cool politically. You won't get reelected if you do that. So next president's time, next president. And finally, the, the can got to Donald Trump. He said, we're going to move the embassy. We're going to move it from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. We're going to acknowledge Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel. Don't you know that's going to inflame all the Muslims in the world? Don't you know every Arab surrounding Israel is just going to riot and throw bombs and kill people. You can't do that. It's done. 
We have an embassy in Jerusalem, a United States embassy in the city of Jerusalem for the first time. Hallelujah. So someone who gets that done has my support. But he is only a civil reformer. God's called the church to influence our culture. He's called the church to bring spiritual reform with peaceful solutions to difficult problems. Our voice needs to be heard. Can you say amen? Our voice has been silent for too long. We need to be heard. We need to be heard in heaven, first of all. Is your voice being heard in heaven? If it's not, then please don't let me hear your voice speaking out on issues today. You talk to God first, would you please? Before you start, go posting stuff on your social media and trying to tell the world how to. It's amazing how many experts we now have on racism. We had a, a month ago, we had a bunch of experts on coronavirus. Everybody's, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's an expert. Before that, we had experts on Russian collusion, and everybody had an opinion on, on that. And, it, so, and so it goes, and so it goes, and so it goes. But listen, we need to have our voices heard in heaven. God needs to hear your voice. I'll tell you something, he's been missing you. He's been missing those appointments with you. I've got a pastor friend who calls his prayer time a God appointment. Every day he's got a God appointment from this time to that time. Block out that time. Sorry, can't do that. That's my God appointment time. Love to have coffee with you. Can't do it. My God appointment time. We need, to, we need to find some time for God. We've got time for everything else and everyone else. We need to carve out some time for God and be heard in heaven. And we need to be heard at the ballot box. I said we need to be heard at the ballot box. In this nation, we have a right and a privilege that is absolutely unknown to the majority of the nations around the world. We are a democratic republic. That means that every individual of certain age is allowed to vote in its leadership. We're allowed to vote the men and women who represent us in Oklahoma City, the men and women who represent us in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have that right and that privilege. I was in the Philippines a number of years ago over election time. And um, my, my host told me, they said, we're really praying that it's peaceful this election season. And I said, really? They said, yes. They said, we had uh, so many people killed last year in the Philippines. Sister Barbara, you lived there for 20 years. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And they said it was a good year because there were only like 100 people killed or something uh, at election time. And they were praying that it wouldn't be so bad this year. And, and then when you, go, when you go vote, you get your finger uh, daubed with uh, ink. This, this indelible ink, and you have to wear that ink. I guess that's so you won't go get to go back and vote again because you got your finger. And that's that happens in a lot of nations. But but I was I was amazed, and I thought, you know, the Philippines is relatively calm compared to a lot of other nations. And uh, and, and so so I, I brought that thought back with me, and I'm like, how blessed am I to get up and and go to my local polling place and cast my ballot for the person of my choice. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, the majority of Christians, I'm not going to point fingers at this congregation because you all are wonderful and do everything just right. I mean, close to perfection. But the majority, but the majority of Christians don't even bother to vote. Well, I was doing my nails that day. <laughs> had laundry, you know, washing my car. I had to work. 
the, the polls are open from seven to seven. Yeah, well, I don't know where my, I don't know where I vote. Oh, I didn't register. You know, if you didn't register by June fifth last week, you can't even vote in this this, ele this uh, election uh, June June thirtieth. Did you know there was an election the thirtieth of June? There is, in our county. Didn't know that, did you? <laughs> well, I just thought that was in November. Yeah, he's one in November. Okay, so, 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 Pastor, where are you going with this? I'm just getting on my soapbox talking about the ballot box. And I want you to check that box. I'm wanting you to vote this year, okay? All right, so you can, you can pray, you can give, uh, you can support godly leadership, you can make a difference for your children and your grandchildren. And this is why we need the church. We need the church to bring re reformation in areas that are needed. And man, I'm running out of time. It's already that late. Okay, let me see if I can wrap this up. Let me just give you an outline real quickly and you can take it, uh, study it, develop it on your own. I'll probably say more about it perhaps next week or, or in the future. Um, Lauren Cunningham was the director of Youth with a Mission. Uh, he's the founder of Youth with a Mission. And in um, the 1970s, uh, he met with um, Bill Bright, who was the president of Campus Crusade for Christ. Two of the most influential uh, members of our, of our generation who have influenced for the kingdom of God, won more souls, been instrumental in leading more people into ministry and so forth. Two wonderful men of God, Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright. They met one time and, and just kind of compared notes. What's God saying to you? What's God doing in your life? Both of these men had this revelation. Lauren Cunningham shared it for the first time in Hamburg, Germany, at a big cathedral full of hundreds of young people that had gathered, Youth of the Mission, Wilhammers, okay? These are like sold-out, radical kids. And here's what he shared with them. First, there, he said, there are areas that you can go into as missionaries, and here they are. First is the institution set up by God first, and that's the family. Everybody say family. <laughs> the family. After the family was the church, God established the church or the, the people of God. Third was the area of school or education. Fourth, an area that was established, uh, it has been established as, as an influential um, mountain in our society is the media or public communication, all forms, printed, electronic, so forth, the internet. The fifth is called celebration, or what I call, Lauren Cunningham called, celebration, the arts, Entertainment, sports. It's where you celebrate within a culture. The sixth would be the whole area of the economy, which starts with innovations in science and technology, productivity, sales and service, the whole wealth of the world. Anything new, like making sand into chips for a microchip, that increases wealth in the world. And then, of course, prediction, sales and service help to spread the wealth. And then finally, the seventh mountain of influence was the area of government. Then he talked about government uh, being three branches of government that come out of Isaiah chapter 33, uh, judicial, legislative, and executive, then subgroups under that. So under the seven groups, there are subgroups, and there are literally thousands upon thousands of subgroups, but these seven can be considered like Caleb when Caleb said, give me my mountain, 85 years old. You remember, it was Joshua and Caleb, were the two guys from that generation of Jews who came through the wilderness and were allowed to go into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. 
And Caleb, at 85 years of age, his eyes were still clear, his back was still straight, and he said, there's a, there's a mountain that's been promised to me, give me my mountain. And so with that command, God places before us mountains of influence. And in our culture today, if you look at them, there's family, there's church religion, there's education, there's media, there's entertainment and arts, there's economy, business, and there's, and there's government. Spheres of influence and culture that the body of Christ, listen to me, has been authorized to go into. Already, it's our mission field. God never told us to stay out of education because we're the church. God never said because you're born again, you can't get involved in media. Or don't you dare get involved in the government. <laughs> don't, don't get involved. See, these are mission fields. These are, these are areas of influence that absolutely influence our culture. Think for a moment what government is doing to influence our culture right now. Government is calling the shots. Government shut our church down. Federal, state, and local. They tell you what you, they, they're, they, they, boy, they're not going to like me for this online. But the government is becoming ever more encroaching on the, on the liberties of the American people. There are liberties that are established by our Constitution and are the amendments to our Constitution that have been given to us and, and we, we, that's the reason we are a great nation and to allow a strong, uh, a big government to take our liberties away was never God's intent. It was never the founder's intent. Government is there to protect us and secure our borders. Hello? Boy, has government encroached. But think a minute, for a minute, if you will, the influence that the media has in our culture. So, pastor, it's just not fair that, that, that the media is so biased and, 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 and they have this, this, this view, this worldview that's not the same as the church. It's not a godly worldview, is it? No, it's not. And one of the reasons it's not is there are about five corporations, maybe six, depending on how you look at it, that have the control of about 90% of the media in the United States. How many of you knew that? Some of y'all nodding at me like you knew it. It, it. It's not like all these, you know, every all these people, it's not like it used to be. We're talking about five or six conglomerates that own it all now. Subsequently, the mountaintop has gotten much smaller and there's a smaller group of people at the top who influence what everyone else listens to, watches, hears on the local news, sees on the internet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pastor, what do we do? Do we just wring our hands? Do we sit at the, do we sit at the bottom of the mountain and look up and, and, and yell and shake our fists and say it's not right? No. Well, you can if you want to. It won't accomplish much, but we can pray. We can vote our conscience. We can seek God. We can ask for wisdom. We can get some education. We can help our young people to become leaders because, because quite frankly, I'm, you know, I'm like 63. About all I can do anymore is inspire someone else to go. I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in running for office. <laughs> I don't think I've got what it takes anymore. Um, but you know what? There's some of you who can run for office. There's some of you who need to be on the city council. There's a young lady I met a couple of weeks ago who was running for state senate here in our region. And um, she's running simply because uh, of her stand on abortion. 
She wants to abolish abortion. She doesn't want to just tolerate it and placate it through pro-life measures and, and so forth. She wants, to, she wants to move in the state senate to abolish abortion. Did you know there are 10 candidates right now who are running in, in, in this election uh, in state offices like representatives and senators, and they're running on the platform of abolition to do away with abortion. Many of you heard Dan Fisher, our friend Dan Fisher, who spoke here a couple of years ago. Dan was running for the Republican nomination for governor. Dan did not win. Kevin Stitt won, and Kevin Stitt went on to become the governor of the state of Oklahoma. And, um, but Dan is a, is a pastor. He's a Christian man. And Dan ran on the platform of, of, of abolishing abortion. That's part of his, one of the planks of his platform. Most folks have never heard of that before. You want to do what? You're a what? Abolitionist? That's got a weird sound to it. Well, let me tell you something. When you consider that abortion is murder and abortion is paid for by tax dollars and abortion is, is allowed to continue in our state and can be shut down by our state and can be labeled for what it is and abolished, in our nation, in our state where it should start, we can act, absolutely save human life and we can save little innocent babies simply by doing that in Oklahoma. And once Oklahoma breaks through with abolishing abortion, then I believe there are other states who are, who are just on the brink as well. There's no telling what we could see happen, but it takes the people of God determining, listen, God wants me to be a part of reforming my culture. God wants me to take back part of one of those mountains. Now, you can't take back all those mountains, but some of you in this room are involved in education. You're in the education mountain. God can use you. Some of you are in the medicine mountain. You're in the, you're in the part of the, the medical um, uh, profession and so forth. You can help take back some of that mountain. Some of you are involved in government. Some of you are involved in all kinds of things. Wherever you are, industry, um, uh, whatever God lays on your heart, uh, let me give you one final thing. Here it is. It's 1 Samuel chapter 30. The story is, I'll make it brief. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> David, King David has taken his men and they've been doing battle. They come back to the city of Ziklag, the city where the whole tri their whole army resided with their families. Ziklag has been destroyed and overrun by an army of Amalekites. And they have burned the city. They've taken everything. They've taken the, the wives and children as hostages and now the army comes back and they see this ruin and they begin to weep and cry and, and, and they're mad and they're upset. They want to do something. They want somebody to do something. And so they come after David. They say, David, it's your fault. And so David goes out by himself. And the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. And he, he inquired of God and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to do three things. I want you to pursue and I want you to take back, and I want you to reclaim. Now listen, I want you to reclaim what's been stolen from you. Can I just suggest to you that a 1 Samuel chapter 30 anointing is what God wants to place on the body of Christ in this last day? To pursue. We're not to be overrun by culture. The gates of hell cannot prevail. Gates don't move. Gates stand stable. And when Jesus said the gates of hell are not going to prevail, he's talking about church that was moving forward. He's talking about a kingdom of heaven and forcefully advancing. He was talking about pursuing. We need to pursue what the enemy has taken from us and we need to take it back and we need to reclaim it in the name of the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Come on, let's stand to our feet, everybody in this room.
And let's give God the praise and the glory and the honor. If you've been blessed today, put your hands together and give God praise. Hallelujah. Father, thank you today. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your moving through our worship and our praise and, and through our prayers and through all that's been done in this house. God, we give you glory and honor and praise. We pray, Lord, for our friends at home or wherever they are that are watching us on this video. And I pray, Father, for that First Samuel chapter 30 anointing in their lives that they would pursue and they would take back and they would reclaim what's been stolen from them in the name of Jesus. God, make us, uh, re make us re uh, restorers. Make us men and women who are not only willing to be revived, but men and women who are willing to, to restore what the enemy has taken back from us, we pray in this last day. May we be spiritual reformers, oh God, to see reformation in our, in our time. Last day, in time, reformation of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Come on, lift your hands with me all over this room and say, Father, I receive it now. I receive a new anointing. I receive the power of God to be a reformer and to see great things accomplished on my, in my workplace and in my family and in my friends and the, those I come in contact with in my sphere of influence, Father. Bless, I pray, in Jesus' name. Bless my friends to be bold, Lord. Bless this wonderful church family wherever they're gathered. If they're here, if they're home, wherever they are, bless them, Father, to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We receive that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Put your hands together one more time. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord. Well, we covered a lot of ground today covered a lot of ground today. The seven mountains of influence has been something on my heart for a long time. And um, I want you to take it to heart. I want you to take this outline. If you didn't catch it all uh, earlier, I'll be glad to share it with you. Um, if you're at home watching, you can rewind this video. You can share it with a friend. Um, uh, you can text somebody and say, hey, you need to watch this. You need to uh, take a look at what's being said. <clears throat> and then, of course, these uh, videos archived for a period of time. So even if even if we're not watching online now, we can watch later. You can share with a friend later easily. Just go to your Facebook, go to the church's Facebook page. Let me pray with you right now. There's some in our midst who are sick, uh, some who are home uh, and, and they're not well, and I want us to pray for them uh, today and believe God. If you have in your family or your own life, you have a physical ailment, would you raise your hand right where you're at? And I want to see that hand. I want to know who we're praying for. Amen. Do you believe God's able this morning? Do you believe He's more than enough? Hallelujah. Father, we declare now that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals. In your name, there's power to heal. In your spirit, there's power to heal. Today, Lord, we speak blessing and healing and health over our friends in this room and those who have affliction at home, those who are battling disease, those who are battling pain in their lives. God, would you send your word and heal today? Would you restore today by the mighty name of Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sherry, would you leave?